Hello, I'm Jonathan Smith. I'm the lead pastor at One Church TO, and you're listening to the teaching time from our weekend gathering. We're an imperfect community of over 70 nationalities and five generations who are attempting to follow and shine Jesus in the greater Toronto area. Our vision, it's so simple. We want to help people from all walks of life know God, love people, and in turn, impact our city for good. We've designed these weekends to be meaningful, challenging, and encouraging, and I hope that's what you get from listening. Well, friends, welcome to One Church TO, whether you're online or a great crowd here this morning, actually in our physical campus. But uh, I want to welcome you to week three of our series called Level Up. And in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of a lot of change and turmoil in our culture and society, I've been challenging you in week one and two to level up through this. And by leveling up, I mean this, to make a move in your life for the better. And many of you did that. In week one, you leveled up your level of surrender to Jesus. You kind of pushed it all into the middle and said, Jesus, I surrender all. And then last week, we talked about leveling up your level of generosity. And so many of you did. Actually, let's celebrate a little bit. 106 people ran in our cross the line this last week, yesterday. It was fantastic. They raised uh, $8,000 for biosand filters in Honduras. So we, we actually need 10000 to get do what we wanted to put, biosand filters in 25 homes and one school in the nation of Honduras to bring clean water there. You can still participate by going to crosstheline.com run and you can give there if you'd like to participate in that but i want to celebrate all of you you know people ran in five different nations five different nations because globally or digitally they've connected with our church and now people are participating in other parts of canada as well as around the world and what what we're trying to do together here last week uh, over 20 of you volunteered to serve at our food bank. You stepped up and you said, listen, I want to be generous with my time. And you rolled up your sleeves and you, you stepped into that space. 261 of you gave to the mission of this church to help people know God, love people, and impact the city. So w- well done, friends. And I want to encourage you to keep your hands open. Keep your hands open. Yeah, you can put them even together too at the same time. <laughs> people in the gathering here clapping spontaneously. So A surrendered life, a generous life. This week, I'm going to talk to you about living a missional life. A missional life. Now, the interesting thing about these three indicators is, you ever have been in a relationship with someone where you had to have that relationship-defining conversation, right? Uh, I've been married for many years, and I still have to have that conversation every once in a while. Like, hey, how are we doing here? Because sometimes we take each other for granted or you know, there's misunderstandings or just life gets in the way and you have to have like, where, how are we doing? And if you're married or if you're in a long-term relationship or you're dating someone, you got to have those conversations. And sometimes you got to have that conversation to wonder, where do I stand in my relationship with Jesus? Well, you, these are the indicators that will help you determine where you actually stand. How, how, how deep of a surrendered life are you living? Are your hands open? Are you living a missional life? If these are the three indicators of a mature, fully devoted follower of Jesus. Now, I'm going to pre-warn you, because when it comes to missional, unlike the other two, sometimes we feel a lot of guilt around this, because you can think like, ah, I'm not that type of person to share Jesus with others. And listen, this is how these indicators actually work together. It's a surrendered life plus a generous life will naturally equal a missional life. 
See, sometimes when I was growing up in church or I was trying to follow Jesus and someone would talk to about sharing Jesus with others, I felt a lot of guilt because I felt like I'm not, that's not my personality. Guilt is a terrible motivator in a relationship and I want to take the guilt off you right now. The beautiful thing about this, if you aren't naturally, according to your personality, living a missional life, it's not, it's not something you need to feel guilty about. You need to go back because it's connected to these two. There's probably an area of your life you haven't fully surrendered. There's probably some things you're not generous with. Because if you're living a surrendered, generous life, you'll naturally lead a missional life. It's the next conclusion. Think of it this way. I can't give myself to others in mission if I've not personally given my life, surrendered my life to Jesus and my stuff to Jesus. I can't give my life in mission to others if I've not firstly given my life to Jesus and my stuff to Jesus. You see how that's connected? It's when we give our lives and our stuff to Jesus, we're actually freed up to then give our lives to others. It's the surrendered life that leads to a generous life that leads to a missional life. So if you have a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 9. If online, you can notice there are notes in the chat room. There's a, there's a little button there. They'll, they'll direct you to the notes if you're in there already. But Luke chapter 9 is where we're going to spend our time. Before I get to the latter part of the verses that I'm going to teach on today, let me just start with the opening verses of Luke chapter 9. In Luke chapter 9, it tells a story. Jesus sends out his 12 disciples early in Luke chapter 9. And he sends them out with three mi- on a mission. Their mission preach the good news, tell people about the kingdom of God, uh, set people free from evil and all of the things that trap people and enslave them in this life, and heal them. Be a part of seeing bruised and broken people restored. That was their mission. He sent out 12 disciples to do that. Then in Luke chapter 10, the very opening verses, Jesus sends out 72. Now this is all significant. But it could be lost on us because we're Canadians or we're from different parts of the world, but we're modern people and we're not steeped in Jewish history. Let me explain a little bit what was going on in Jesus' day. Jesus' day, uh, they would have read a Greek Bible and they would have all read, pretty much read the scripture in his culture at that time. It would have been the Old Testament, the ancient parts of the Bible. They would have read and it would have been written in Greek. Why Greek? Well, because a man named Alexander the Great had conquered the then-known world. It's pretty interesting. He comes from Macedonia. His dad developed this military-type move. And as he was growing up, he was tutored by Aristotle, the great Greek philosopher. And so when Alexander the Great took over from his dad, his dad died. And as a teenager, he led these armies. And he took over the then-known world. Actually, he died at the age of 29. So young adults, you can do spectacular things, even in your young adult leader. No pressure, but he conquered the world by 29. You know, so no pressure. But So wherever he went, he brought the Greek way of thinking and culture as well as the language. So everyone in Jesus' day would have spoken in Greek, and he spoke in Greek, and they, they, the text was written in Greek. Well, in the Greek Bible, and it's actually in your modern-day English Bible, in Genesis chapter 9, tells the story of Noah and the flood and the ark. You remember that story? Some of you might know it. And in the very next chapter, it's called the Table of Nations chapter because it describes every nation that was established after the flood. It lists them all. Do you know how many nations are listed there? 72. And the reason why this was symbolic and it was very significant in Jesus' day is because 72 had become the number of completeness. 
72 meant everybody. It meant everyone. So in other words, in, in chapter 9, or in chapter 9 in the opening, when he sent out the 12 on mission, it was like sending out the clergy or the pastors to go and preach the good news and help get people detangled from the evil around them as well as help people heal from their bruised and brokenness in life. And when he sent out the 72, it meant that every follower of Jesus, a man or a woman, was on mission. It meant we're all in. Every Christian is on mission. And it's interesting, when you read the 10th chapter of Luke, they go out on the exact same mission that the 12 did. Their job was to share the good news about the kingdom of God. Their job was to help detangle people from the evil and the spirits around them that had kind of tangled them up and as well to be a part of God's healing plan in their life. So that's all of us. And the word that is used there in both accounts is sent. He sent them out. And it's from a Latin word, missio, where we get the word mission. They're all on mission, every follower of Jesus. Here's the truth that you need to lock down if you're brand new in the faith with Jesus or you're just investigating. Lock this one down. Jesus never calls you in without sending you out. Jesus never calls you in to bless you and heal you and put you back together again without sending you out to share those benefits that you've experienced with others. Later in that same book of Genesis, chapter 12, God encounters a man named Abraham. And he goes to Abraham, he says, listen, I'm going to care for you. I'm going to prosper you. I'm going to bless you. And Abraham says, sign me up. And immediately following that, God says, now get out. Get out of what? Get out of your homeland. Get out of your familiar territory and go out. Go out. See, God never blesses you except to make you a blessing. God never blesses you except to make you a blessing. See, he never calls you in without sending you out. Now, why everyone? This is a good question. Why does Jesus want every one of his followers to be on mission? Why does it even matter? Because there's a part of me that goes, I understand some people getting that responsibility because, you know, they're the professionals or maybe they're just an extreme extrovert. And so they love to chat and talk and they'll, they'll gossip about Jesus. So let them do it. Why everyone? Glad you asked. The Apostle Paul, in a letter he wrote to a city in a church in the city of Ephesus in modern day Turkey, he tries to explain why everyone matters in this and why everyone should be a part of this. In the second chapter, verse 10, Paul says to this group of believers, he says, for we are God's handiwork, handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared for advance for us to do. Now, remember I told you this New Testament, the scripture was written in Greek there, and that word handiwork is translated different in your English Bibles. For some of you, it might say workmanship or masterpiece might be another way. It's actually an artistic word in the Greek. It's basically saying, Paul's saying, hey, listen, you're God's artwork. And you know, art only has value when it's displayed, right? What good is a great piece of art if no one ever sees it? Art reflects beauty and imagination and connects with people as it's put on display. The, the actual Greek word is poemia, which is where we get the modern day word for poem. I like to think of it this way, that we are actually God's poetry to the world around you. 
You are God's poetry to the world around you. You're God's artwork. And what you're doing is you're pointing to the artist. You're, you're God's poetry, and you're pointing to the poet. See, there's something in us that he has crafted us to participate in mission with him. We are his artwork, his poetry to this world. Now, each of you, your poem and your, or your art is very unique because we're all fashioned by our temperament, our personality, our wiring, uh, our, our giftings, our talents, and even our life experiences, our successes, our failures, our hurts, our wounds. And they all kind of come together to create an art piece, and a, a reflection, a, a, a great poem. And your uniqueness means that you can reach people that I can't reach. Friends, here's the truth. Why it requires all of us to be on mission is because there are hands out there only you can hold. There are souls out there that God has placed you and designed you uniquely to be able to reach and connect with. So being on mission is something for all of us. We're all on mission together. And here's what mission looks like and what it feels like. If you have that Bible, in the latter part of Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 70, 57, it says this. It says, as they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you. What a great statement. And some of you have said that even over the course of the series. I will follow you. And says a really definitive statement, wherever you go. <laughs> it's an all-in kind of statement. Here's how Jesus responds. But Jesus replied, Foxes have dens to live in, and the birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. What is he saying? Oh, he's, he's challenging him. He, he's, he's pushing back. He's saying, listen, if you're going to follow me because you think I'm going to save the world through winning, I'm not going to save the world through winning election, winning, winning a cultural war, winning some sort of award or battle. I'm going to win, I'm going to save this world by being arrested, by suffering, by sacrificing. I'm going to win this world through my death. And in doing so, Jesus was signaling to his disciple then, as he signals us today, that comfort is not part of the mission. I think a lot of Christians miss this. I think that's why a lot of people don't engage in mission, because sometimes it makes them feel uncomfortable. Comfort has never been a part of the mission. Now, comforting, that's what God gives us. Don't you love that? If you've experienced moments of grief or hardship in your life, and you have experienced the comforter, the comforting presence of the Holy Spirit, God comforts his people so we can comfort others, but he doesn't call us to a comfortable life. Because a comfortable life is a complacent life. A comfortable life is a passive life. A comfortable life will miss the greatest joys in life. It's not about comfort. See, some of you know this. As followers of Jesus, you're going to have pockets and moments in your life where you feel like you're losing. Or where the culture, you look around the culture and it feels so uncomfortable. And some people are tempted to isolate themselves or worse, get angry. And what they're missing is, hey, the darker it gets, the brighter we have the opportunity to shine as lights in a dark world. See, it troubles me 
especially in social media, because with the onset of it, onset of social media, you get to see what's in people's hearts. Because out of the mouth comes the abundance of the heart. And I've watched Christians, snarky, sarcastic. Someone said something tough, but they take a run at them, they'll run at them. And I'm feeling like, wow, you're missing the opportunity to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world. See, our response as the world gets less comfortable is to stay on mission. Our response is to be deeply loving, joyful, to be deeply peaceful, to be deeply kind, gentle, to have deep self-control. That's that's our response to it. Like when someone comes to me and they'll say, well, this person is a mature believer. This person's been around there a mature believer, but they're not kind or they're not gentle or they don't exhibit self-control or love or peace or joy even. I would challenge you to say, that's not a mature believer. That might be an older believer, or that might be someone who's been around for a long time, but that's not a mature believer. The depth of your maturity in your relationship with God is measured by the fruit of the Spirit that we exude, not when things are great, but when things aren't great. And that's the light that gets to shine in contrast to everything around us. So the darker it gets, the brighter we shine, the harder it is, the church thrives in hardship. Why? Because greater is he that is in us that is working out of us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, long-suffering. See, if we were in church, someone would say, Amen. Okay, so then he goes on and it describes two other followers. He said to one other person, come follow me. And the man agreed. But he said, Lord, can you say this word with me? First. This is an important word. Lord, first, let me return home and bury my father. Jesus responds and told him, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. Then there's a second person. Another said, yes, Lord, I will follow you, but first, let me say goodbye to my family. But Jesus told him, anyone who puts his hand to the plow, and this is an important word right there, and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. What is this all about? Do you notice it's all about family here? All about family here. And Jesus says some, sounds like some pretty harsh things, like let your father bury himself. And, and don't, you can't go back and say goodbye. What, why is he doing this? What, what, what's going on in this text? Why does Jesus sound so harsh in this moment? Well, you got to understand context. Jesus is operating in a patriarchal society at that time where family is everything. Family honor is everything. Parental approval is everything everything. And he rightly perceives that these people want to follow him. But first, notice what they said. Both of these men said this. Next slide. Both of these men said this. I will follow you, but first. There's something before Jesus. Something comes before Jesus here. I'll follow you if I can do that. I'll follow you if I get this. I'll sacrifice and give for your kingdom after I retire. I'll sacrifice and give generously after I make my money. 
Jesus is saying something that's tough, but it's really definitive and it's clarifying. He says, you're not a follower if there are any conditions. We're not followers. We're trying to lead Jesus then. Condition-free. And I love the imagery he uses. So Jesus often uses these agricultural images, these metaphors that help us understand our mission and our life and our standing. And he uses this idea of a plow. I don't know, you know, we're Torontonians here, and I'm sure wherever you're watching from, not many of us are in touch with the agricultural roots that, uh, you know, the food we buy in the stores. But if you're a farmer, you know exactly what he's talking about. A plow, especially in that day, it required intense concentration and focus because it did one furrow at a time. And if you took your eye off and if you were looking around, your furrows would start to go like this. You couldn't maximize your field. It would be a bit of a disaster. Also, you had to watch for rocks as you gripped the plow and it was hard work, difficult work, but you look for the rocks because they could damage your plow if you hit one and maybe even be devastating circumstances in that you wouldn't, be, you wouldn't have it to get your crop in. But the Bible uses this to help us understand our mission. So for you and I, the field we plow in is where we live. It's our place of influence. Wherever you're planted right now, wherever you're planted, that's your field. The seed that we have is the gospel. It's the good news about Jesus and his kingdom. That there is this kingdom of this world, it's pervasive, it's dark, it's, there's all kinds of, and there's good things happening there. It's the residue of creation still operating in this kingdom, but there's a brand new kingdom coming. And in this kingdom, it's a place of freedom. It's a place where people find joy. It's a place where people get healed and restored. And then the workers in the story and in God's story is you and me. He's the Lord of the harvest. We're the workers. And we're to grip the plow. Now, the metaphor is difficult in modern eyes and our modern ears because we're more, like, we, we're more like keyboard warriors than we are plowers. But the imagery is so powerful because it's talking about something that requires effort and sweat and concentration and sacrifice. To grip the plow is to put a clear emphasis on Jesus' mission over our comfort. It's to put a clear emphasis on Jesus' mission over benefits. Here's the thing, though. When I was 11 or 12, I worked on my aunt and uncle's farm just in the summer. I think my parents were just, we, there were six of us kids. I think they were just eager to get a few kids out of the house. So they would kind of give us away to my aunt and uncle to go work on their farm while they were haying. I remember the first time I did it, I was like 11 or 12 years old. And I thought I was a man. And then I put in a full day work on a farm, in the hot, blazing sun, haying and haying and hay. And I remember, though, the feeling when I came in for supper that night. See, at the end of the day was a great reward. My aunt was an incredible cook. And there was a table covered, a banquet table. And when I sat down at that table, and I ate that food, I'll tell you, food never tasted so good. Water was never better. And I'll tell you, I slept like a baby when I was there. I, but I knew, remember the feeling, even as an 11-year-old, 12-year-old boy, I remember feeling like a man. Like I worked hard today. See, someday, we won't have this opportunity to work like we get to now. But there is a banqueting table waiting for each of us. 
There's a reward waiting for us. Now is our time to sweat it out, to grip the plow, to stay focused, to live a surrendered and generous and missional life. Because someday we will have that residue feeling because we are all working for that day when we'll hear Jesus say, well done, well done, well done. So here's how I want to end this series. I want to tell you why I spoke this series. As I was praying about and just thinking about in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of a moment of great racial and social injustice and uh, tension in this world, uh, financially stretched difficult moments, and here I am challenging people. People are already feeling challenged, right? What are you doing challenging people to surrender, to to be generous, to to be missional in this moment? What, What business do you have doing that? Something's troubled me for years as a pastor. And I want to apologize if I've not been clear enough or not clear often enough about what I'm trying to do here. I'm not here to build an experience where you feel like you're at home. I hope you feel at home. I hope you feel like this is your spiritual family. I I hope you feel all of that. But that's not my goal. That is not my goal as a leader or a pastor. It's not my job And I'm not here to build services or gatherings that everyone likes. No, I'm not trying to rebuild something my parents loved. I'm not trying to build something I loved when I was growing up. I'm not even trying to build something that future generations love. I love where we've been. I love where we are. I love where we're going. But someday, God's not going to judge me or judge you on the songs we sang or didn't sing, on the type of service we had. And whether everyone loved every moment of everything we do, that's not what we're going to be judged on. You know what we're going to be judged on? Jesus someday is going to look Jonathan Smith in the eyes and he's just going to simply say, Jonathan, what did you do with what I gave you? And I want to say to you, because I love you, follow Jesus. Follow him, friends. Surrender. Live a surrendered life. Push it all in the middle. You you push in your will, your way, your dreams, your mess, your ambition, your sin. Just push it all in the middle and give it to Jesus. There's no one you can trust with your life like Jesus. Whatever you place in his hands, whatever you place in his hands is in his hands. It's under his protection and his provision. And in turn, Follow Jesus. Open your hands. Be generous with your time, your talents, your abilities, your resources. You won't regret what you did generously in this life as you grip the plow for the next life. And then finally, grip the plow and mission. It's not about keeping it Sometimes I've made it so much about me, my faith journey is so much about me. Jesus, what you're doing for me, what about me? And I get my eyes off the mission that Jesus has called us to. Friends, the reason why I wanted to challenge you in this moment, I feel like because this is our moment. This is our moment as a church to, to shine like a light brightly because the followers of Jesus in this church are trusting God for daily provision. They're trusting God with what they have. They put it all in and they say, God, not my way, but your way be done. I I, I want what you want. And we've engaged in mission together.
That's why global focus is so important in this church because we're engaged in mission right around the world. That's why local focus is so important because we are determined to impact this city. That's why in week one, I, 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 I launched this, or I mentioned this about our children for our children's ministry, the spiritual life track for those ages four to 18 and for youth and young adults, obviously, four to 18. Why? Because what would it look like if a four-year-old started to grip the plow when they were young? They developed those calluses on their hands that protect them. And they were used to a hard day's work. And they knew what that serving Jesus was not about comfort. That you would feel uncomfortable at times, but it'd be incredibly rewarding. It'd be incredibly joy-filled as you sacrifice for the kingdom of God. What it would look like as they grew into teenagers and they gripped the plow even a little bit tighter. And they had moments in their life maybe where they let go of the plow, but they remember the joy of plowing and they grab hold of it again. What would it look like if they could soar in that moment? Listen, if... You're between the ages of 4 and 18, and you're here, or you're watching online. You need to be a part of this. And if finance would be a barrier in any way, because this team has prepared a ton of great materials and things for you, I don't want money ever to be a barrier for you to be able to grip the plow and grow your faith deep into the person of Jesus. You just let us know. We'll come alongside you. This is why last week we talked about Love Army. Because this is not the time to shrink back. This is the time to open our hands and move forward. While everyone else is trying to isolate and everyone in fear is starting to grip their stuff more tightly, we're followers of Jesus. We trust. We know where our help comes from. Our help comes from the maker of heaven and earth. And so we keep our hands open. And we are generously going to love this city like we've never loved. You keep that October 31st, November 1st weekend circled on your calendar because we're going to do something seismic in the city. And it's why Alpha matters. You hear, if you've been around this church, you know we talk a lot about Alpha because it connects with our mission. It's an opportunity for those of you who don't know Jesus to explore the faith. It's an opportunity for those of you who know Jesus to partner with God's spirit to see people invited into the kingdom of God. Friends, we're playing for keeps, aren't we? I love these words. Let these linger with you as Jesus said this. He said, anyone who puts his hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Grip the plow. Father, I thank you, God, for your people. Lord, we don't have to do the heavy lifting. You've done it for us. You've gone before us, Lord. And God, we affirm as a community, you've got us. We know it. Lord, I pray that fear would not grab hold of us, but instead faith would fuel us. I pray that courage would rise among us, and instead, in turn, we would become encouragers of others. God, I pray that we would live a surrendered, generous, and missional life. That's a life with no regrets. And friends, I want to pray with anyone maybe in this room or online who you want to follow Jesus today. Here's a simple prayer. And if this grabs you where your heart is at, you say it with me. Father, thank you for sending your son, Jesus. While I was by myself, you came looking so I wouldn't have to be by myself. And your mission to come here on earth and restore me back to relationship with you 
is the same mission I want to join you in. Fill me with your spirit. I pray, God, that you'd forgive me of anything I've done that has harmed or put a barrier between you and me. And God, I pray that I surrender in this moment. And maybe this is a good moment to say, I surrender all, everything, God. I place it in your hands. And in turn, I open my hands so that I can steward whatever you place in them so that I can use it for your mission. And I today grip the plow to serve with you in mission. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you, church. Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful, we hope you join us at one of our campuses if you're in the GTA for a weekend gathering. If you're listening from somewhere else in the world, we'd encourage you to join us at onechurch.to slash live. We believe everyone can be a part of what Jesus is doing both in our community and in our city. So if you'd like to connect with us at a deeper level, visit us at onechurch.to slash next steps. See you next time.